the best short films for lifelong learning, recommended by teachers for teachers. This is Short Films Teachers Love, with your host, Richard Lee. During my teacher training, one of my supervisors said to me, the three most important steps to lesson preparation are the three you take before you enter the classroom, which um, I guess has an element of truth to it. But today I'm pleased to introduce you to a teacher who has some much more practical advice about preparing lessons. As well as being a grade six teacher, she also writes supporting notes for short films in the classroom and she writes notes about how to write notes for the classroom. Somehow she also finds the time to maintain a fantastic website, Middle School Minds, where she freely shares her insights about teaching English, history and media literacy. Heather Marshall, welcome to Short Films Teachers Love. Thank you. First of all, I just I was thinking about you being a sixth grade teacher. I mean, for me, sixth grade was probably my favourite year of all schooling. Um, maybe because um, I was the, the highest in our you know education system in, in our, what we call primary school. But for me, it was also just filled with great sort of optimism and enthusiasm. Um, and, you know, that was a long time ago, but I'm just curious if that's still the same. Your, your Twitter handle says you're currently practising Jedi mind tricks on middle schoolers. So is that how you see your job? Tell me, tell me about the space that you're in in sixth grade. Well, it is a fun age. It's, it's different. Um, in, in our system, the kids come to me and it's their first year in middle school. So it's kind of like a transition school before they go to high school. So it's a very big year for them. Um, and I just, I try to have a lot of fun with it. It's important for me too, not just for them. I've been teaching for 17 years. And if I wasn't keeping it fun, I don't know that I'd still want to be doing it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you balance that? Um, I've got a friend that's started to do a little bit of sharing stuff online using YouTube and, you know, clips for his students, etc. But you know, there's a trade-off between how much time you do doing that and how much time you spend preparing lessons and all the rest. How do you balance that? I mean, you've done a lot of stuff online. How does that work for you? Well, for me, that's my fun time, like creating the lessons and sharing stuff with other people. That's fun for me. Other people like to garden or cook or, you know, I don't clean the house. <laughs> I don't cook. <laughs> I don't knit. I like to make lessons. So, you know, in my free time, that's what I do. I don't consider it work, really. It's, it's a craft all its own. It is. It's, it's like being an artist. Excellent. That's, that's good. I, and I also noticed in the films that you've chosen, um, you've, you've actually recommended films that you, you need to purchase, which to me as a filmmaker also is very exciting because you're sort of encouraging, you know, people to think about this is something that you have to get. It's not just out there free. And I, and I appreciate all the free films and all that sort of thing. But, but do you think you've done that as a conscious decision? Are you consciously supporting other artists or is it just how you found stuff that's good? I do. I do believe in, in supporting the people who make the films. And even when the films are available on YouTube, I still purchase them um, myself just because I just, I like to support the people who are making the films. And I feel like you're even supporting the ones that are like, I find a lot on YouTube that are made by students from like student film schools. Um, and those are amazing too. And you can't really buy those. They're just being shared on YouTube only, 
But I feel like when I make a lesson for one of those films and I'm sharing it, then I'm still kind of supporting them because I'm getting it out there to, you know, hey, look at this film. You can use this. It's great. So, And, and that getting it out there to me is um, that's kind of how I justify, you know, when I'm recommending films that are freely available and posting links. And, you know, there's a whole ecology that's still developing that, you know, uh, the currency is as much about how much are people talking about this and using it as they are going through some paywall and paying paying a small amount. But at the end of the day, I suppose, you know, people need to need to earn a living. You're right. There is there is a currency to people talking about the film. It it does make a difference. I'm also just fascinated by the idea of um, when I it was really interesting when I asked you to, <clears throat> to pick some short films, you immediately went to what I would also call short films. They're films that uh, are really high quality. They're good on so many levels. And yet some people, when I say pick your favourite three short films or videos, they'll immediately go to a clip of a TV show or they'll have a quite a different concept. And I just want to unpack that a little bit in, in your mind. What, How would you describe a short film? Well, for me, it's not just about what it looks like. It needs to tell a good story. Because I'm using, I'm using the films in my English class to teach literary elements and, you know, plot structure and stuff like that. So the film really needs to tell a quality story. And, you know, I am amazed by the short films that I see because, you know, in five minutes with no words, they can tell an amazing story. Like when I find something like that, like the cow that wants to be a hamburger, fantastic. That tells an amazing story. Great lesson. I like it when there's a really good lesson um, because I want to teach them, you know, the literary elements and that kind of stuff. But I also want them to learn a good lesson too. So I like it when there's a good lesson, a moral. And it's amazing when they do that with no words in five minutes. Yeah, and grunts and the language, and we'll, we'll come to some of those. They're, they're very nice pieces. Um, but but just I just want to get this a little bit clearer, though. So part of it, it sounds like for you, it's engagement. Part of it is story that emotionally drives us through some, you know, a narrative arc. Um, the question then for me is, do you ever show your students educational videos, you know, the ones that explain things? Um, you wouldn't call them short films, I don't think, would you? So how, how do you kind of fit those in your mind and how do you use them? Um, I do use them a lot. I use all kinds of videos, um, documentaries. We use how-to videos. There's a lot of great videos on YouTube made by teachers and I will, you know, put those in a lesson as like a review. Oh, you forgot what theme is. Here's a great video that somebody made that's two minutes long that refreshes you on that. That way they can explore that on their own and I'm not reteaching it to the whole class when only three people need to be reminded what that is. So do you have a name for those? Like do you think of that as a different genre or how do you how do you think about those teaching videos? Maybe like a tutorial. I don't know. I've never really thought about what I would classify them as. 
I'm not sure. Oh, that's okay. I just, I, you know, because we're, and we'll get to diagrams a little later too, but that's one little diagram that I have about where I see them fitting. But I'm, I'm just always curious to hear how other people think about it because people mean different things by different, by different words. One, one more thing before we, we dive into the films. It is time consuming to find films and then write notes for them. So there's this tendency I think we all have to handpick hand a few good old favourites and then stick with them. Um, but then we miss out on the new ones. So what, what a general advice would you have about, um, you know, keeping fresh and yet using the old ones? Well, one, one way to keep things fresh is um, to subscribe to some good channels on YouTube where they're posting. Like, I think I subscribe to some film schools that do um, like CGI animation um, because if you subscribe to them when they post a new video, it's at the top of your feed that somebody's posted this new video. Um, but I, I look when I'm looking for a movie to rent or something at home and, you know, we're looking through what we want to watch. I always just search short films to see what's new out there. Also like the awards that they have for short films, even Academy Awards, you know, who's winning the awards. Those are good ways to find new films. But I enjoy watching them, so I look all the time. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about one of the first films that you've chosen, this uh, film called The Cow Who Wanted to Be a Hamburger. I just love how the the calf sees the billboard and gets so excited about the happy cow and he's just so misguided. So this is obviously a wonderful opportunity to talk to your students about the power and potential deception of advertising. Is that where it sits for you as far as planning out your teaching regime? It it does. Um, I use that film in my media literacy class to introduce an advertising unit and we talk about persuasion in advertising and rhetoric and but i also like that other message in there that that you know sometimes the thing that you think that you want ends up really not being what you thought it was but i definitely do a whole lesson on advertising and messages in the media and looking carefully at those things and figuring out what it is you're really getting yeah, it's also it's. I found it. I mean, I watched all three of these late at night. Maybe that was just my mood, but I I found this one quite scary. And I and I imagine like for grade sixes, they might be. You know, they, there's a few scary moments in there. Do you, is there what sort of feedback do you get from your students? They love that one. They think it's great. Yeah, they think it's great. They love it. Do they get in terms of the message that you're trying to get out of it? Is is that always, does it come up straight away? How, how do you ease them into what you're trying to get out of showing them then? Well, I'm looking through my lesson right now so I can remember what we did. We talk about irony. So I teach them about irony. And then, and I have those videos that you were talking about before that are like tutorial type videos. I have some different videos that I show them from TED but it's like the Ed Ted one. They're like educational videos from Ted about the three different types of irony. And so we talk about irony and suspense and how the the music 
and the coloring and all that is used to create the suspense in the film. And then we talk about rhetoric, visual rhetoric and rhetoric in advertising. And then we go through and we watch a bunch of advertisements. And it's fun because, like, you can tell they're really getting it because they're yelling out, oh, that's pathos or, oh, that's logos and, you know, all the different types of rhetoric that are being used in the advertising. And then I finish it up and I have them make a billboard because the big thing in the film is a billboard. So I have them create a billboard to share. And one of the things I was impressed with your notes too, you you created something called a sketch note, um, which to me, you know, it's an illustration of a big idea. And in this case, it was, you've called it uh, deathly hellos of persuasion in advertising. Can you talk more generally about this idea of making diagrams out of, out of big concepts and educational ideas you're trying to get across? Um, well, I do do a lot of sketch notes in, in the classroom. Um, that's a whole nother topic to go into. That would take a long time. But that particular sketch note was one of the favorites that we did. Um, I did the Harry Potter version because I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. Can you see my wall? In my Heather points to the writing above her head, which reads, I solemnly swear that I'm up to no good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a big Harry Potter fan. So I thought, how can I apply the characters in this film to the ideas of rhetoric? And you have... Ron, who's appealing to the emotions because he's kind of an emotional character, and Hermione, who's very logical. So we took notes about what rhetoric is, but applied them to the different characters. And my students started noticing that characters in other books that they were reading also had these, there was like a three-character group that also had these, that could fit into these categories. So someone did a Hunger Games one, Um, Someone did a SpongeBob one. So all of my students were creating these like triangle diagram things with characters from shows or books or whatever that they liked, but applying these ideas of rhetoric to the characters. And it, it helps them to solidify what they're learning. Like they really hold on to it. Yeah. And, and educational specialists talk about, you know, making learning visible. So saying what's going on in my head and let's let's see it on the page and a diagram just can nail that so quickly. Was there any other things that you had to say about that film? I know the, there's so many elements to that and you mentioned some of the, you know, the music, the way the, you know, that trombone, the big fat sound comes, you know, the, the way music is used as a, as a voice tool. You know, there's lots of film analysis we could do about that, but... Um, Um, Was there any other things that you specifically wanted to pick up on that film? I don't think so. I think that was it. But I did really like that piece about how the characters spoke with music. I thought that was pretty amazing. And I really like that filmmaker. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Bill Plimpton. He has a lot of good... He has another film that I've used as well called Footprints. And he has just a lot of great films. They're not all appropriate for kids. Some of them are very grown-up humor, but the ones that are appropriate for kids are just amazing stories. Great. Let's talk about uh, another film that you've chosen, and this one is called The Dam Keeper. Every eight hours, the dam required a wind-up. Forgetting this chore would be deadly. 
I was the dam keeper. I had never seen this before and it's, it took me two goes to get the meaning of that. I'm, I'm actually quite a slow film reader sometimes. I, I laugh because my wife sort of says, didn't you get that? Didn't you get this? We watch a film together and I'm always a couple of steps behind her, probably because I'm thinking of so many other things at the same time. Um, but the first time I watched it, I, I couldn't actually make sense of why was there this dam Why was the water sometimes coming over but not flooding people? And why was it a windmill that was keeping the water back? It was all a little bit mysterious for me. I was obviously reading it too literally. And then I got it on the second, the start of the second reading. I thought, right, it's all, it's all metaphorical. It's all actually talking about this darkness that's being kept away. And I think for me, that's what I love about animation. You can go in so many different places that you just can't do literally. Can you tell me about your students' reactions? Are they a bit slow like me sometimes in getting the meaning of this? <laughs> I feel like I'm slow and they get stuff way more than I do. I feel like I learn more from my students than they learn from me sometimes. Like they're always pointing out things to me. I'm like, oh yeah, they're really smart and they get stuff very quickly. And they pick up on things I don't notice too, which I just love. Yeah, they really like that film. Yeah, so what what do they like about this and what do you like about this? Why did you choose this? I like it for the teaching points. I like to talk about connotative and denotative word meanings, especially focused on that concept of darkness and, you know, what's the literal meaning of darkness, but how it's kind of metaphorical in the film. I like to talk about how the introduction of a new character can be very transformative. And, you know, we talk about static characters. For a film, though, that The Dam Keeper is a longer film than I generally choose because we watch our films multiple times. Yes. And that's like 18 minutes or something from memory, isn't it? It's. it's Yeah, something. It's 15 or more. Less than 20, but it's more than 15. And that's a little long. I like the little five-minute ones because we'll watch them several times looking for something specific. But that one I actually used with a novel. I like to pair the films with novels that we're reading or things that we're learning about because I feel like it kind of extends their thinking about it. And that one we, we used with a novel that we were reading. It was called The One and Only Ivan. It's about a gorilla in a zoo and... The characters and the dynamics and how a new character was introduced and it had this huge transformation or transformative effect on the main character was very similar. And so we did side-by-side plot mapping and talked about the similarities in the themes and stuff. And I liked the film for that purpose. So we didn't watch it a bunch. Yeah. There's the whole media analysis side, which you've written notes about, but um, one of the themes you pick up on is bullying, which is always a big topic, um, particularly you know, moving into the higher levels of middle years. Um, Do you think this is a film that would be easy enough for, say, a welfare teacher or someone interested in student wellbeing to raise the issue of bullying and get students talking about it? Oh, definitely. That's one of the reasons I like it too. I want to be able to teach things, but I also like it when there's a really good message involved. And this is a perfect example of that because there's a great message here about bullying and being resilient and perseverance and all of that stuff. And and not going it alone, I think, is that that's what you're bringing out too, isn't it? Yeah. The bully and the we talk about that when we watch the film. I think it's part of the lesson that I made. There's the bully and the bystander and 
and that kind of stuff. We talk about that with the film. So the last film you've chosen is called La Luna. Good. Tell me about this. Why did you choose La Luna? Well, it is animated, which I tend to like, and it is very short, which I also like. But I liked the the theme of coming of age. It is something that's prevalent in a lot of the novels that we read. It's kind of a universal theme. And so I liked being able to introduce the idea of, you know, what that means to be influenced by family. And then you're kind of growing up and making your own decisions and doing things in your own way in a, like a five minute film. And I'm seeing your notes about that. You, know, you talk a lot about the this this idea of family and how it plays a role in shaping our values and beliefs and everything. On, um, I always like to take notes on my first impressions of a film before I see what anyone else has said about it. And on watching this, I was absolutely taken in another direction altogether. So I was taken <laughs> in the direction of fantasy and the whole idea that we can imagine whatever we like. And again, it, it comes back to the power of animation. But this idea that, you know, the moon is something we can kind of float up to on a little boat, get a magic ladder out and climb onto it and harvest these little shining stars, you know. And, I, and I, it just got me wondering about, you know, Wow, you know, it's just, it, it, was, it was more about the power of the imagination, you know. So I came away with it with something quite different. And, and so after having a look at your notes and going, oh, yeah, there was all that stuff about values and family and all that kind of thing. But it got me wondering, again, about how we choose films. On, on the one hand, do you start by saying, here's a great film, I wonder how I can use it? Or do you go, here's something I want to teach, let me go and find a film for it? How do you do it? For me, it's generally, I see a film and I really like it. It's great. Then I figure out how I'm going to use it. So I come across the film. I love it. And then I'll watch it a bunch of times. What can I teach with this film? How can I justify watching a movie in class? Because <laughs> that's what they call it, really. You're watching a movie, but it's, it's so much more than that. It really is, yeah. So as a filmmaker, you know, for my filmmaking friends there, and, and you know, I have spent a while making educational videos and trying to avoid just making those how-to ones. What, what general advice would you have for filmmakers that are trying to make films that work for you? Well, for me, I like them to be animated mostly because the kids like animation and it's not threatening. You know, they think of it as, oh, we're watching a cartoon. Oh, this is, you know, whatever. So I kind of generally tend to prefer animated. I prefer them to be short, but also, like I said before, the story is really important for me, having a good story. Because sometimes I watch a lot of like student films from like film schools, and sometimes it's like an animation school, and so you can tell that they're really, they're really caught up with how they can showcase their animation skills. Like, it can be very, very simple animation. Um, but sometimes 
like I would prefer very simple animation, not so fancy, with better story, rather than you know here's a showcase of everything I learned about you know CGI or whatever. I want I need a good story. So presumably that would also translate to documentaries that you would show your students. Uh huh. Um, documentaries that I've shown are generally longer. They're usually full length. And generally it's connected to something we're learning about. Like um, we were learning about the plastic pollution in the ocean. And so we watched several documentaries about that. Um, The only thing with documentaries sometimes is you have to watch them really carefully because sometimes there's content that's just not appropriate for, you know, 12 year olds to be watching. But sometimes it's a really great documentary, and so then it's really disappointing because I want to use it so bad, but I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. Tell me about Hyperdocs. So uh, you have an excellent diagram, and I want and I'd like to go through this. But you you've called it how to hyperdoc a short film. Now, when I saw that the diagram, I thought this is kind of how to write great teaching notes. So I'm not familiar with the term hyperdoc. So explain that to me. Um, but also, if we can talk me through that fantastic diagram that you have about how you analyze a short film. Sure. Um, hyperdocs are kind of a new thing. A book was recently published called The Hyperdoc Handbook um, by three three teachers who wrote this book together. Lisa Highfill, Kelly Hilton, and Sarah Landis wrote this book. And it's all about lesson design but lesson design using technology. So a hyperdoc is, it's basically a a digital lesson and I can share that with other teachers. So talk me through this, how to hyperdoc a short film. So you've got these steps, find a film, watch it several times, formulate. Just just give me an overview of how, how how would you explain that to other teachers who are interested in this methodology? To me, it looks great. Well, the first thing is finding a good film. Find a film that you really love, that you want to share. And then um, I watch the film multiple times. And I usually start with the plot, just kind of outlining the plot and what's the theme. And then, you know, what are some questions? That's a big driving force for me with my lessons is a guiding question, like a big question that's going to really get them thinking throughout the entire lesson. And then... um, I watch it and I just watch it. Every time I'm doing something new, I watch the film again and I take notes and I have huge binders of notes from films. I look for literary devices that I might want to teach. And sometimes how I choose the film is I see a film and it connects to something else that we're reading or, you know, something we're talking about in class. So if it if it didn't happen that way that I chose the film, then as I'm watching it, I think about, you know, what does this connect to that we're learning? And then I think about how are the students going to show me that they learned what it is I wanted them to learn throughout this lesson. So like with the cow that wanted to be a hamburger, they had to make a billboard. There's always some different kind of project. I want the students to be creating something. It's not just about consuming the media of a short film. I want them to be creating something based on what they've learned. And then if they're really into what we're doing, because I will have kids that are just so excited about what we're doing and they want to do more and then, oh, we're moving on. Well, I, I try to include always in my lessons some way for them to take it to the next level. Like, oh, you really like this film? 
here's how you could create a film about this. Two things I, I love about that is um, one, and I can see so clearly how that works with the cow and the hamburger one, is the billboard, you know, and you talk about doing the billboard. It's right there in the film. You know, there's an opportunity to to get the kids to actually do something. Um, so some, I guess some films just have that gift built in, don't they? Um, but the other thing that was interesting in what you said is um, formulate guiding questions. So when I first asked you, um, you said, I really love short films that have a message. And yet I love how you've picked up on this idea of a guiding question. So a good film also has something behind it that you can think about asking the students or that the film itself is asking the students to think about. Is that how you see that? Definitely. I I want them to be thinking. And so I want to share media with them that makes them think. I don't want to tell them what to think. Like I want to share something with them that makes them think. Excellent. Have you had lots of success stories? Have you met your sixth graders that have come back to you in 10 years' time and said, you are an awesome teacher or anything like that? <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. My, uh, my, my significant other is a chef and he's working in a restaurant and I went in to eat at his restaurant and there were about two or three of my former students also working in the restaurant and they were so excited to find out that the chef and I, I was their teacher, and they called me Miss Marshall, which was weird out in public. <laughs> that was strange. But, yeah, and one of them had remarked to my boyfriend, she taught me how to tell time. She was the greatest teacher ever. <laughs> it was super cute. One of the great rewards of teaching. Um, just to finish up, thank you so much for all those insights. It's, it's really helpful because I, I suppose what we're trying to do here in this this podcast and this show is is generally think about learning in a broader sense, introduce films, just because I love films, but also I think what you've done is help us, you know, you're helping educate other teachers who aren't so confident with the medium of film generally and short films, films specifically. So that's fantastic. But just one other question. I don't know if you've heard any of me, my other interviews, but I always like to ask teachers what their earliest moving image memory is. Do you have one? I do. It's not a good one, though. <laughs> it's just, it was a horror film. When I was very, very young, my mom went to see a horror film and she didn't want to go by herself and she took me with her. And I had nightmares for months. And it's like the first film memory that really sticks out. That's the first thing that comes to mind when you ask me that. It's not a good one. <laughs> it obviously didn't scar you too deeply. But do you think it gave you a, a, um, a fascination about sort of how far we push ourselves in, in watching things and how, the, how we react as humans to films? I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> don't have the answers to everything. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Find all the links to this episode on SoundCloud, including the thoroughly detailed lesson plans for each film discussed today. Join us next week on YouTube for the edited highlights of this conversation.